God loves us. God loves me. That's always good news. It's a good way to start your day. Do you know, do you know why God loves you individually? It's not tricky. Because he is love. That's the, he can't not love you. And uh, it tells us in the Bible that, that God can't deny himself. And even if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. He, he cannot be anything other than, than who he is. So he loves me because he is love. And it's not dependent upon who I am or what I've done. And it's the same for you. So actually if you get hold of that as a little bedrock in life, then it makes a big difference. And uh, these, there, is, there are various songs that we sing, and, and don't get me right, there's no, there's no perfect Christian song, but there are one or two that I choose not to, to sing, um, one of which is, I will never understand why he loves me. Um, it's nothing wrong, not, not against the song, it's just that I do understand why he loves me. Now you might say, well, that's, that's an arrogant statement. No, I understand he loves me because he is love, it's got nothing to do with me. Okay? Uh, Got the sense that he, he, he made me, he formed me, I'm his child, he loves me. And, uh, you know, we have the, the joy of having two lovely grandchildren and, um, we love them. We love them right from the word go before we'd even seen them. It's not that they've demonstrated anything back. And it was the same with our own children when, when, you know, I remember having, holding David for the first time thinking, wow, such extraordinary love. And love is, love is at the heart of, all God is and all he does. And I want to talk to you about love today. Um, before I get there, just say, isn't it great hearing these stories of, of God-loving people through our people? And we're talking about, uh, we call our outreach, Love Graves End. Love the people. I just love hearing people getting healed in food bank. I've been looking, I've been longing for that for a long time. So it's not being funny. Anybody can give out food. No, it's not, it's, it's a good thing to do. But actually, when you combine that, with miracles, people realize, hey, there's a God behind this. There's a God who loves me, not, not just some nice people who are willing to, to volunteer some time. There's, there's a God behind this who loves me. And it, 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 these, these things give people an opportunity to encounter God. And um, Jesus himself pointed to the miracles as, as a validation of who he did, who he was rather than... And so, so he said... On the evidence of the miracles. And miracles are an important part of Christianity. And I get really excited about them. I love hearing people getting healed in spec savers, in Sainsbury's, on the streets and stuff like that. And I love those stories. And, uh, but, and I get, I'm very fortunate because I get a lot of people tell me their stories. Um, and I get various texts coming through. I got a text last, uh, last Sunday that was, uh, that, uh, that I was, um, amused and excited by it. It's from a close friend of mine who used to be a senior civil servant. And he says, looks like George Osborne is intending to bring a new city near your church building. How many of you heard about Ebbsfleet Garden City? If you haven't heard about it, then it's, it's going to be there. Actually, it's already here. We're part of something. And it's, for a little while I've been um, joking that I'm, I'm start, I've started calling Gravesend a city. I want a city. Might as well, we're going to reach a city. God placed us at Eastgate to the city, so cities are important. Now, I didn't realize that actually they're giving us one. <laughs> it's, it is extraordinary. And where, where, where they're talking about it, actually, so last Sunday, um, I think it's from down over there, the BBC cameras were scanning around the area, and you could see Eastgate on BBC News. And, and people's response to this happening in the area. And 
That's, it's going to be there. Do you know where this is then? What does this make, this building? It makes it the east gate to that city. <laughs> so I think we thought it was just about London. Well, it is about London, actually, and not be really funny. That story, that's amazing. You, getting into the Bank of England. And, uh, it's it's mind-boggling, isn't it? Seriously, isn't that amazing? And so that we, we are invading that city, but then God's putting another one right on our doorstep. And he told us that ten years ago. So I love hearing what God's doing, but then there was another text I got this week that did something else for me. I'm going to read it out, okay? This is on Tuesday. This is from David, my son. He says, sitting having breakfast with Zoe, that's our granddaughter, your book was on the table, unwrapping Rasmussen. She saw your picture on the back and got very excited. That's Granddad Pete. I love Granddad Pete. Have a good day. I did. (laughs) There is something that is more important even than miracles. Okay. Because miracles are pointing to something. There's signs and wonders that point to, to, to love that melts hearts. So I get excited about, you know, I get excited about being healed. But actually that did something in my heart that nothing else could. And I want to tell you, when we worship God, when you come and worship God and tell him you love him, it does something in his heart that nothing else can. See, I, I, here's a question. Do you think God's impressed by miracles? Well, he's not. Because he, that's what he does. It's like asking a doctor if he's impressed by giving out antibiotics. Oh, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> and people get, see, God, God, God's not impressed by his power. He knows he's powerful and he likes to demonstrate it for other people's benefit. Right? So, so, I'll tell you what touches the heart of God is actually when people love him because that is completely voluntary. There's something you can give to God that he doesn't have. That's your love. Because he won't demand it of you. Because if he does, it's not love. Love is, is always voluntary. So you've got something to give to God that he doesn't have. Is that not amazing? That's why he gave you freedom and free choice. Because love is free. And Jesus summed up basically the Bible. He said, this is it. Love God and love other people. That'll do the job. Um, next week I might show you uh, um, a video um, that will just help you understand some of the enormity of what God's doing in the church on planet Earth at the moment. But um, just again, again a quote. This, this is it. If you, if you can love God and love other people, that'll do the trick. And as you do that, you can heal them, you can prophesy over them, you can give them food. I loved hearing stories this week of people helping others to move home. Welcome to Dave and Kate Foggan, who have moved to Kent on Friday. Welcome to Kent. And uh, so I just like her, people are actually just going to go and help. I love hearing the stories this week of, of meals being provided for Nick and Catherine Horton, who just had their baby. Congratulations to them. But there are acts of love that are going on that, that are really important. That are, that are meant to be part of life. That, that's, that's normal life, actually helping one another, loving kindness. And because it tells you in, in 1 Corinthians, well, I'll tell you, tell you, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
all about spiritual gifts and the body of Christ. It says, but at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Okay? So make sure you go for spiritual gifts, but the most excellent way. This is the way that you should live. And the next chapter is all about love. And it says, this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. And basically it says that actually love is the key, key issue. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, the first verse of that says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. The two need to go together. But I love it that actually 1 Corinthians 13, that, that magnificent chapter on love and how you exercise love, is sandwiched between desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. They're not two separate things. The power of God and the love of God go together. They're, they're, they're inseparable because they're both aspects of who he is. And uh, so I wanted to try and talk to you about love, which is just a big subject, you know. That's a slight understatement. I don't know how many pop songs you could refer to love and things like that. And one of the problems we've got is we only have the one word for it. Um, so we're trying to describe something with one word, and it means a lot of things. And I'm thinking about it. It's a bit like um, apparently the Eskimos have got lots of words for snow. Yeah, there's a debate about how many. Some people say 17, some people say up to 50 words for snow. So I was looking up this morning. They have, they have a different word for the pity-patty snow that comes down like this and a different one for the one that's blown across like a blizzard and a different one for the slushy snow and stuff like that. I, I wondered if they got one for the wrong kind of snow on the rail tracks. That would be... Because <laughs> that's all we can find. There's a wrong kind of snow. There's a, but there's a type of snow. But the, the, the Eskimos have words for this because in, in their world, that's important. You know, that they have a different way of describing different aspects of something that's similar. And we, we need to try and get to grips with, with, with what love is. You know, love is all around. I like the film. Actually, I quite enjoy the film Love, actually. Some people think it's got a few risky bits in it, I know, but, um, I think it's very true, isn't it? If you, if you want to know what love, if you want to know love exists, go, go and stand at the arrivals terminal of a, an airport and see people being greeted. Uh, and so the best way I could do with this was, was, was actually look up the Greek words for love. In the Greek, the Greek language has four words, at least, uh, that mean, that are, well, translated it now, English term, into love. Those are agape, eros, philia, and I think it's pronounced storge. Storge? Storge? Storge. To get a mark, thanks Mark, that was helpful. Storage. And I wanted to just give you a quick run through of, of the four different words to give you an idea of what it means when we say we're meant to love God and love people because I think all these four things are meant to come into loving each other and loving God. So the first one of agape has a sense of un- unconditional love. It's the love that's given without expectation of return. It's given unconditionally. It says whether the love is given is returned or not, the person continues to love without any self-benefit. That's what God does. Jesus demonstrated that on the cross. 
very clearly that those who were, who were crucifying him, he said, forgive them. He, he loved them without any return. You know, the guy who, who was dying on the cross beside him says, Jesus, remember when you get to paradise. Actually, Jesus loved him without any, any, any possible hope of, of return in this life because the guy was just about to die on the cross. So agape has this sense of, of an unconditional love that is given away without expectation of return or condition of return. Then there's eros. Eros is a physical, passionate love with sensual desire and longing. It is romantic and it has an emotional uh, element to it. With, and it says this, without the balance of logic. That's what I got this one, I thought. Emotion without the balance of logic. It's true, isn't it? People they love something. And it's not just, it's not just people that can happen for it. It's amazing what people would do for love of, of things and, or a pursuit of something. You know, I remember, remember one, one time years ago, I was listening to a radio program. There was this guy who, who was into, you know, studying birds and he studied their bird droppings. And he would open them up and he could identify. I thought, man, that's, that's serious. And there's something to be left alone as far as I'm concerned. But, but, but he was so fascinated by, by his love of birds that he would drive him to actually examine their droppings. That doesn't seem logical to me. That seems emotional, but hey. <clears throat> it says, although Eros is initially felt for a person, with contemplation it becomes an appreciation of the beauty within that person or even becomes appreciation of beauty itself. I thought it was interesting what Hannah shared today. If you went in at the beginning, then you missed that. She just talked about actually going up, approaching somebody because she felt God highlight this person as saying you're beautiful. And this person said that they've been feeling unnoticed and unknown and a bit, you know, like that. And just to be noticed and to notice beauty. So, so eros, there we are, a sen- mainly sensual and longing with the romantic. Philia is a, t- is a, type of love, it, it's, it denotes love between family and friends primarily um, it can be a desire or enjoyment of an activity um, and it's, it's, it's more to do with friendship and a family so like, hopefully br- brothers, and, brothers and sisters love one another but there's no romantic connection and then there's storge which is actually said that that's particularly that, that, that that's felt by parents for their offspring. Okay, so there's a, there's a differentiation. Now, I think God loves us in all those ways. He loves us with an unconditional love. But there's also a romance to God's love. He, he, he loves to have us. He loves us, but there is, there is a sense of longing in God's heart for us. Okay. Who, who are you going to be married to for the longest time? God. Now, there's a thought. We'll come back to that later. God loves everything about you and isn't always logical. Jesus called us friends. Do you know he likes having fun with you? He really does. And then Jesus, or Heavenly Father, loves us as his children. And when we're looking at loving people, we can love them in all those ways. Hopefully we can give unconditional love to everybody. That's what grace is. It can be extended to everybody. We can love people unconditionally, no matter how they treat us or their attitude towards us. Jesus told us to love our enemies. That's that ability to love way beyond. There's the friendship love. There's, there's, there's 
parental love, but I, I want to talk to you about the eros love because it's really important that we understand that God has given a context for eros, love. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9, it says this. It's talking in the context of, of, of men and women and, and, and marriage. It says, uh, or should they get married? It's talking about single people, should they get married or not. It says, if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. There's a word of wisdom, word of wisdom there. Burning with passion, that, that, that is, it's, it's fiery, this stuff. Eros has a fiery dynamic to it. It can be consuming. But it says, actually, okay, well, let's put that fire in the right place. Put it in the fireplace of marriage. Because a fire outside of its right context causes a lot of damage. And God has clearly placed eros or erotic love within a context so that it can be expressed and enjoyed in a good way. And marriage is the context that God places eros love in. And I want to take you through a few scriptures as I wanted to help us have a, um, a biblical view of marriage and understand what that looks like and then actually how to strengthen marriages. Now, this is not just if you're married. I will come on to singleness if you're single, widowed, even divorced, then actually this is relevant for you. So please don't turn off at this moment in time. This is not just a talk that's exclusive for married people. It's relevant for every one of us because God loves each one of us and we all have to love. We also have to know how to contain our desires. So this is my understanding of a biblical view of marriage, that it is a lifelong exclusive covenant between a man and a woman. Okay, it's a lifelong exclusive covenant between a man and woman. In Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus was being asked about divorce, he was asked a question, um, is it lawful for a man to, divor- to divorce his wife for any reason? Now, without going into that in great depth, he wasn't asking whether, it, whether divorce was, was actually lawful because it was actually, it's, in, it's actually there in the Levitical law. You can find reasons for it. Um, what, he was, what that question was, was about was that the, the, uh, in around when, when B.C. becomes A.D., I'm not quite sure what you call that, but around the, the year naught, um, there was a Pharisee called Hillel, and he introduced something into to Jewish culture and, and uh, Pharisaical law that said it was uh, permissible for a man, no, a man, not a woman, a man to divorce his wife for any reason that he chose. Okay, so that, that's the context, that, that, that men could actually, uh, it's like men owning their wives, so that if that any reason they chose, they can divorce their wives. And so, so Jesus was asked that question, is this lawful? What do you think about this? Is easy divorce okay? And it's only one-sided as well. Jesus replied, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So Jesus was saying, no, it's not okay. A covenant relationship has to mean something. It's not just something you can drop. Now, we'll come on to the fact that, unfortunately, covenants get broken. And... Uh, 
that's not how it's meant to be, but that's a reality. Unfortunately, some people break their marriage covenants. And the question is then whether they can then be put back together or not. <coughs> um, and, but if you look at this, there is, this is, a, this is a, a vivid picture of two people becoming one. There is a joining. It's, and literally, in the act of, of sexual intercourse, there are two bodies that become one. There's a giving of oneself to one another. And this, this picture of, 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 of this joining together of, in marriage is actually one that's used uh, strongly throughout the Bible, also as an image of our relationship with God. In John 17, it says this in verse 20, it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. <laughs> Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So who's going to be in the Godhead? We are. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't it amazing? So Jesus is talking about his unity with the Father and he says, just as you are in me and I'm in you. And then it talks about us being in him. And God is putting his church together. It is extraordinary in these days. And I say a video I want to show you next week will actually help you understand more of that. God is doing something extraordinary about combining his church into one. Why? Because he's only going to have one bride. He will only have one bride. He's not going to have various bits marching up the aisle. That's, that, that's the image. You have to get it. We're not going to have a sort of a, a, an arm and a leg and all these separate bits walking up the aisle having nothing to do with one another. That's a grotesque image, isn't it? That's a grotesque image to God. He is going to have his bride. The church is called the bride of Christ. The church is also known as the family of God. The ultimate invitation you can get to a marriage is this. Which one? What's the ultimate wedding invitation? It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Sometimes you don't get invited to weddings because it's limited. It's, you know, not, not everybody can get in. This is one where everybody has an opportunity. It says this in Revelations 19, right. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Wow. You've been invited? Amazing. I think everybody on planet Earth is on the invite list. We have the privilege of giving out the invitations. That might be in the Bank of England, might be in Food Bank, might be in Specsavers. Is it any surprise then, with the spiritual significance of marriage, that it is under attack? It has been ever since the fall. The first thing that happened in the fall was relational conflict was put between the man and the woman. They started to blame one another, played the blame game. And I believe that marriage is under attack. And unfortunately, it's a constant target for attack, which is why we need to be aware of this and actually the importance of it. Marriage provides the essential building block for society and the place where children can be nurtured and conceived. Sex is placed 
very clearly in the Bible in the context of heterosexual marriage. It's impossible to carry out the command of God to, to go forth and multiply without putting it in that context. And I think we need to be clear about that. That's not casting a judgment on anybody else. I'm just being clear about what, what the Bible says about marriage. It's, it's heterosexual. And sex life is very important within marriage. I remember a few years ago, Kim and I were doing uh, some marriage seminars in Zimbabwe. And, and Kim, Kim said something that, that um, she <laughs> got them all up in arms. It was quite interesting. <laughs> Do you remember this, Kim? <laughs> I don't remember what she said. She, she, <laughs> she actually talked about that a sex life of a marriage couple is, is, is one of the most important things that is fundamental. And she said this because, you know, if, that it's possible to get other aspects of love from other people without damaging your marriage to such an extent that it's in jeopardy. You can have other friends. Yeah, you can have other... You, understand? you, 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 you can have pals. But once sexual in, in, uh, unfaithfulness has happened, it, da- it damages in a way that nothing else does. And see, even in, even in uh, the secular world where... You know, it can be easy sex and easy go. There is a, there is a, an expectation of, of exclusivity in a sexual relationship and people get really upset. Even, even in, um, um, TV programs like Friends, yeah, which is actually pre-sex, but actually the, my whole storyline within Friends was actually, you know, between, um, Ross and Rachel was actually whether he should have stayed faithful. To her. There's, there's something fundamental within it that is damaging to relationships when that, that, that faithfulness is, is, is disregarded. So when that has happened, what hope is there? Well, what hope is there for building good marriages? Because some people say it's impossible. Well, it's not. Kim and I would have been married 34 years this year. Come on, don't say like that. 34 years, that trips off the tongue. My parents were married over 50 years before my mum died. My sister's been married 36 years this year. We're trying to count up. Him. Kim, Kim's sister's been married 37 years this year. And, and um, we're trying to work out how many years of marriage we have between us in terms of with our parents and our siblings. And it's, it's probably coming up towards 200. That's not good. And we haven't got a big family. Now, is it all rosy? Kim and, Kim and I never argue, as you, you would know. Never have a bad day between us. No, it's not true. Well, what I know is this. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13 tells me that love never fails. So that's where I place my hope. And if you are struggling in any way in your relationship, and I know it can be true, I want to give you this promise, love never fails. God's love. And that means... It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Forgiveness is really important. It's patient. It's kind. You know, love is patient and kind. It's all these things. It, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, it's a, way, it's a way how to live, basically. It's how you live with one another. It's how you live with other people. It's, it's, and I want to tell you this. God never breaks his covenant from his side. God never, ever breaks covenant. And I want to tell you that actually God can meet your love needs. That's really important. If you're not married, you're single, divorced, 
widowed. I talked to my dad, you know, he misses my mum. They were married for more than 50 years. Have anybody watched, um, anybody watched Sport Relief on Friday? An interview with this guy, I think he was 92, been married for 60 years, I think, then his wife died, and of course he misses her. Well, that's right, because that's what love, if it didn't miss her, be something wrong. Well, who can fill that gap? Well, it was really ple- I'm really pleased to see there was a thing, it was called Silver Something or Other. Silver Line. Silver Line, was that right? I thought, this is a brilliant idea of, of people who are available 24 hours a day so that actually this guy said, if I'm awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, I, can't, I don't want to phone my kids up, don't wake them up. There's somebody always on the end of the line that I can talk to. Well, isn't that beautiful? Do you know who's always on the end of your line? There's always somebody on the end of your line who loves you with a, a, a love that goes beyond any human love. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never hang up on you. And to be honest, if you're married, you need to draw on that degree of love to help you love each other. It's tough trying to do it on your own, but I tell you, it works with him. I'm going to go back to that thought. John 17. We've been made one with him. That is an amazing, amazing truth, isn't it? And it's not just for this life, is it? But for all eternity. And I don't know if you get... You know, I, I, my, I've got an active imagination and it tells me that I'm not going to be married in heaven. Now, I'm pretty certain I'll have a special relationship with Kim. I think it, somehow it's going to be even better. I don't understand that. But do you know what? I will be married to somebody as part of this magnificent thing called the church that we will all actually have the privilege of walking up the aisle. There's somebody who's going to be doing it soon, eh, Anais? <laughs> looking forward to the day, aren't you? I'm looking forward to it. There is something special about it, looking forward to that day. When you think, yeah, an expectation. Every one of us, everyone has that same expectation and the same invitation. Shall we pray? Father, we've, we've heard about love. Your love never fails. We've even sung it this morning. We talked about through the storm, you are Lord. And Father, we recognize that storms come and attacks come. And Father, I want to pray for the strengthening of every marriage represented in this room. I pray, would you pour your loving kindness into each one? And Father, I pray for those who are not yet married, those who are single, who yearn for marriage. Lord, I pray they would find you in extraordinary ways. Father, those who've been divorced, widowed, Lord, I pray for your loving kindness and comfort to pour into their lives. And Father, I pray that this church would be a true family where people find loving kindness amongst one another. Father, we love miracles, but Lord, we don't want to forsake love in any way. And Father, we pray, help us to build such a church family where everyone feels loved and included. And Father, thank you that you are our Father and you've included us in your family. And we will also be your bride, yours forever, King Jesus. I want to tell you this, that Jesus chooses his bride. Every one of you is chosen. Every one chosen.